Welcome to the Light Bears Institute podcast, where we seek to improve biblical literacy by discussing key storylines and themes in Scripture. I want to welcome you back to the Light Bears podcast. My name is Ryan Martin. I serve as Director of Missions for Light Bears. We're grateful to be able to record this edition of the Light Bears podcast in front of our Light Bears staff as we're on a staff retreat. And always a pleasure to be able to have our mission partners with us, and we do so uh, this evening as we have this recording. I want to introduce you to Brian. Brian and I met on the field about 10 years ago as I was serving uh, in a short-term mission opportunity in East Asia, and Brian and I uh, were introduced to each other as Brian's doing strategic business in a cross-cultural setting, and grateful to be able to partner not only with him 10 years ago in a local church context, but then also, too, was able to uh, engage with him through our Light Bears mission support projects, and so grateful to be able to have him uh, here with us this evening. Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce us to your family. Sure. So, that's probably one of the most important parts of my story is my family because, you know, we have for a long time done everything just as that. And so uh, my wife's name is Sarah Beth and we have five children uh, in a full range of ages. So we cover everything from elementary school to high school and um, really just take life together as a family. Even a lot of our work um, overseas has been done as family. And so my, my kids speak of even our work as something that we've, we've always done together and, I mean, I couldn't really imagine doing it in any different way uh, than that. You know, I, I can remember, I uh, just kind of jump right into stories. I like stories, but um, I remember on one occasion, um, we stopped somewhat randomly along the side of the road as we were traveling across uh, the mountains there where we work. And after engaging with a local nomad who just pulled up on his motorcycle and conversed with me for a few minutes just there on the side of the road as I was adjusting, I think, the the luggage on top of the car, you know, hop back in the car and my, my oldest son said, dad, did you share the gospel with that guy? And I, and I hadn't, you know, I just was trying to keep the bags from flying off the roof, you know, but I was like, wow. I mean, he was probably 12 years old at the time. And, um, I felt slightly convicted, you know, it's like, no, I didn't share the gospel with that guy, but it was just, it's really cool to travel and work and, and minister as a family. And, uh, even when your 12 year old son calls you out, so <laughs> That's great. Most recently, you and your family have served in East Asia. Uh, tell us what led you to East Asia to work among that people that you're seeking to reach and even how discipleship through collegiate ministry shaped that calling. Yeah, the second part of your question is the answer to the first part of that question. And uh, that is, the simplest way to answer that is I was discipled into what we're doing even now. When I was in college the campus ministry director uh, where I went to school just had a vision to propel students towards some of the least engaged places in, in the world. And as he was challenged with that vision, he took it very seriously. And it wasn't programmatic. It wasn't flashy. Um, it just was intentional. And it was intentional for many successive years to the point that I remember I, I went to a small college. I mean, there were like maybe 2,500 students on campus. Um, but my graduating class, there were probably 12 of us that all moved overseas to the same place together. Um, and that was just the year I graduated. There had been that many the year before us and more the year after us. And there for several years, it was just this long line of students that were saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to serve among these people. And 
that carried over for a really long time. Uh, the way that that vision was cast before us, the challenge that was put before us, and I think even the way that we were equipped um, throughout our college years actually led to longevity. I mean, many of those people continued to serve uh, alongside my family or in places near um, in proximity to our family among the same people for most of them for over 15 years, some of them pushing 20 years in a way similar to my family. So it wasn't just a flash in the pan where, you know, it looked great for two or three years and fizzled out. It was something that none of us got over. It, it wasn't just a thing we did, but it was just a way of living that um, I think speaks to the testimony and importance of discipleship. Um, and intentional is the best word that it comes to mind as I think about what that one man did and how it impacted so many. And he never went, he never lived overseas. And that wasn't uh, what he was even trying to do, but he was trying to give students a view for something that was different and something that was important and close to the heart of God. And just spoke that consistently and had a huge result in my life and in the life of of many of my classmates. Mm. I mean, I would say not too dissimilar. That's what Lightbears is after. I mean, we're not just after discipling students to have a while we do want them to have a deeper knowledge of the word and obviously to be biblically literate and theologically sound, we don't want that to be an end in and of itself, but to lead towards practice. And part of that is giving them a heart for the nations and to give them exposure to that both locally and globally. But I would venture a guess that that campus ministry, that parachurch ministry, again, was tied back to the local church such that, again, you were sent from your local church and just the impact that both the sent one and the sender uh, can have in that partnership that develops over time. Yeah, absolutely. Like everything that happened as a part of our involvement in that local campus ministry was never in competition with the local church. Um, we were encouraged to participate, you know, um, in, in local church on a consistent basis. And, and we did. Uh, in fact, the missions director of that church that I attended all throughout university um, he is still a huge supporter of the organization, um, you know, that I, that I lead. And that's just incredible. I mean, I've had opportunity to see him, you know, every few years, um, living overseas, he would come by, swing through, visit. And, um, even still to this day, I mean, that just is so meaningful to me, like to have someone like him, um, just continue showing his support in that way. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it was it was very much rooted in the local church. Fast forward now to uh, just life on the field and the people that uh, you were led to to reach uh, from a thirty thousand foot view. Tell us more about that people that you were and still are engaging. A little bit about their history, their worldview, uh, even just their openness to the word. Yeah, so the people are Buddhist in background. So not a lot of bridges for the gospel, uh, conversationally, um, very rural. I was, you know, making a reference to a nomad earlier. Uh, the majority of, of those people are semi-nomadic. Uh, those who are not, um, you know, the next largest category, they would put them into like an agricultural based category. Like they're, they're often referred to in, in among their people group as being either farmers or nomads. 
Um, there are some, you know, it'd be a smaller percentage that, you know, have a profession, either a government job, you know, a teacher, a doctor, some type of government office. And then there are business people that are pursuing that. And so that's kind of a breakdown of the society. Religiously, um, it's very homogenous. I mean, everybody follows the same sect of Buddhism for the most part. They um, view it almost treasonous to not ascribe to that. And so to choose a different path um, you know, is not okay. Like, you know, from family perspectives, village perspective, and those kinds of things, which is interesting because they're very universalistic worldview like you know what works for you is good for you what works for me is good for me there's no such thing as absolute truth um so in a lot of ways it's very interesting that um you could almost describe them as like the perfect postmodern person except they never went modern so really the rest of the world is coming back to the way these people have always lived and it's hard to engage with people in conversation like that because anything goes at the surface level. But when you start talking about application at the individual level, if you were to take somebody from that context and say, okay, well, what if you didn't follow Buddhism? It is all of those things are, are gone. The politeness dissipates and it's no longer the, what works for you works for you. What works for me works for me. It's like, no, we are this. And to be anything other is not permissible. And so it's, it's tough. It's, they're really challenging people. Um, trying to talk to people that do not have a concept of a creator God. They do not have a concept of absolute truth. Uh, this, those are difficult starting places. So when you're trying to share the gospel in a context like that, you, you certainly can't just begin with Jesus. Let me tell you about this guy because, well, that sounds great. I mean, he sounds like a really nice individual, but what does that have anything to do with me? And so a lot of evangelism is really, a lot of that time is spent talking about what you're not talking about. So when I say God, well, I'm having to use a word that has associated meaning for them. I'm talking about sin. They're not going to understand sin the way that I understand sin. And so those things are not informed from a biblical perspective. They're informed from their history, their culture, their own scriptures. And so evangelism can be excruciatingly slow because you're having to redefine, even using their own language, what you mean when you say these words. And you are able finally to get to Jesus, but it, it's, it's slow, arduous work. Um, so it's, um, they're beautiful people. Um, they really are very vibrant. Um, you, you can hardly go anywhere there. And I mean, it, it can make like the most novice photographer look like they work for national geographic like i mean it really is i mean you just throw a camera up take a picture of anything it's like well that's amazing and um that's just true of the landscape and the people um the vibrancy of them but it's um religiously and socially um a very very challenging place and so you have used strategic business you know oftentimes we throw around that term business as missions very broadly uh, oftentimes we throw around the term missions, and that can mean uh, a wide variety of things, but uh, you've used strategic business in a unique way. I've heard you even uh, phrase it in in a way that you had to go in and and ask really three questions to be able to reach these people. What can we do? What do we love to do? And what do the people do? 
such that we can mesh those three things together. And so share with us a little bit about just how you've used that strategic business and this particular business um, and how that's given you access to the people, but then also to avenues for gospel conversations. Well, sure. I want to give a little bit of backstory um, because we didn't arrive overseas and from day one do business. We were afforded the opportunity, uh, my wife and I, to spend a good number of years studying language and culture before we shifted into a strategic approach. And I think those were very formative in our understanding of how people engage relationally. And you know, just to give you an idea of what that looks like. So um, for us, there we were in, in the beginning, um, still pretty early on in our marriage. You know, so we were mid-20s. Um, we had one child when we first moved back overseas, you know, as a family. And we're adding to our number in the years that followed. So I, really the, the, the picture that I have in mind is there we were, uh, you know, 30s. You know, we have a few kids living, you know, in a foreign city. And I was a full-time student and people were gracious. They were hospitable. They would welcome us, but we made no sense to anybody. And I think at the time we didn't necessarily see it for what it was. Um, but afterwards we were able to see a little bit more clearly the, the challenge that that actually presented because you know, I believe what we learned in that time was if people can't make sense of you, like at the most basic level of living, why in the world would they ever listen to us when we say, I have the most important thing in the world for you to hear? And not only do I think you need to hear it, I think you need to completely alter your way of living and your way of thinking and your view of all spiritual things. And the response is like, so, so what do you do? You know, and it just, you know, it just was completely other and, and really hard for people to grasp. And so we got to a point where we concluded our time in studying language. And I, I had a research visa at a local university. And so we were, you know, in a way that, that was I mean, a very legitimate m- way to live there and to be there, but it wasn't something that people could understand. They were like, well, where does your money come? Who pays for you to go to school? And, and questions like this. And so as we began to conclude that season of our life, we actually moved from, from one city in the country we were living to another. And in doing that, had the opportunity to kind of begin strategy all over. Now we were afforded with all of those years of preparation. So we already had language we already understood the culture. We already had a lot of racial relationships, but we moved far enough in the country that, that we were, in a sense, new to most people that we were interacting with on a daily basis. And we knew that we wanted to start um, a business and to use that as our approach because our goal was how do we integrate our family among them? Like that was what we were trying to figure out because we believe that the word of God is sufficient. So if you accurately and consistently proclaim the word of God for long enough in any given place, like God is going to use that. And we're like, it's, it's, so in some ways our strategy was extremely simple and it was just the sufficiency of God's word to produce what it is that God wanted to produce. And the challenge though was, was access. Well, how do you actually get to do that long enough among people in a place where 
every outside factor is working against that politically, environmentally, um, even geographically. Like there were just so many barriers to our work that we were trying to overcome. And so how do you take this family? You know, by this point, um, you know, our family is continuing to grow. We have five kids, so there's seven of us, you know. Um, And it's like, how do you take seven people with very fair skin and very light colored hair and put them into this very remote rural context in Asia where you stand out. It's like, you know, living in a fishbowl. And so everything is going to be scrutinized. You know, you walk down the street and people are like, why are you here? What are you doing? And so you alluded to those, those three, you know, questions we were asking, which is, well, what are the people doing? And it's because if our desire is to integrate our life among them, well, we want to do what they're doing. Well, most of them, you know, spent their days living on top of a mountain with yak. And we're like, well, I don't know anything about animal husbandry, so I'm probably not going to be most suited to that. You know, and in addition to that, you know, they're farming. Like, I don't have an agricultural background. I'm not going to land the government gig, you know. Um, so it left kind of the business sphere. It's like, well, what, what's the, the biggest industry happening in this part of the country? And it was tourism. So it's like, well, business is something that I understand. Uh, I grew up in business. I have no formal business education. I did not go to a business school, um, but I was, I was comfortable in business, I think, just having grown up in that. And so, you know, that's, you know, I'm already getting ahead of the game here, but, you know, I, that's where we merged the, well, what are they doing with the, what can we do? And so those were a good fit. And the third one, and, you know, people do kind of laugh at it sometimes like, well, what is, what do you love doing? And, and it was an important question, not to say that everything needs to be comfortable and rosy. Um, a, lo- a long life lived overseas is extremely difficult but we are already dealing with enough challenges, you know, like the barriers that I was referring to. And so we were like, we're not going to intentionally add something to our plates that we don't love. Like if it's not life giving to us, you know, cause starting a, starting a business in your own country is hard enough. And I mean, you've probably heard the statistics, most of them fail. Trying to do that in another country where you're operating in another language, trying to navigate and unknown and often ever-changing political landscape. I mean, it's the odds are not great. And so it's going to take a lot of hours. And so it had to be something that we liked, you know, and that was life-giving to us. And so when you got to the end of answering all of those questions for ourselves, and we took it slow. We didn't try to answer that quickly. We spent nine months answering those questions. We just kept asking them over and over and over as we traveled and visited places. And you got to the end of those nine months and the answer to those questions was the business that we're running now. And so we didn't start by saying, wow, like business's mission sounds intriguing. I'd like to do that. Um, really for us, it was uh, God is leading us to live among these people. So really, you know, in its most basic way, we were trying to answer for ourselves is how do we choose these people who need the gospel as neighbors? Like we want these people to be our neighbors and how can, how can we do that? And, and that's how it developed into that. And so, you know, business's mission has been a really difficult term for me. We, we usually avoid it because it means too many things. And so, you know, you could ask 10 people, what is business's mission and probably get 10 different answers. And I think we realized there was maybe 
some problems with that, uh, that term and sometimes even that approach as we began to meet other practitioners of business's mission. Um, especially like on one occasion we were traveling and we randomly met some people um, outside of a restaurant in New Delhi. And when we were there, you know, we were visiting some, some old friends of ours, you know, that we knew from school. I mean, we were in a different country. It was very diff- foreign to us. And so, but, you know, as we were going in to eat dinner, this other family came up and they knew the couple that we were going to dinner with. So there was, you know, I think by association, it felt safe. So they could, you know, kind of, even though we were brand new people, they could identify themselves as cross-cultural gospel workers. And I remember um, one of them saying like, you know, yeah, well, we're here in, in New Delhi and, you know, we have a business and it, and it really is a real business. And I was like, wow, that was really strange because if you say I have a business and you have to qualify it with the, and it really is a real business, like it's probably not a real business, you know, and, and it just started showing us like, man, there's, there's gotta be a better way to do this, you know? And, um, so usually in that category of businesses mission, you have, people that are really good at business and they aren't really good at mission. Like, and you said that's even a term. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you that often is the, the range of definitions is very broad. But when you talk about, you know, for me, like, so if we were talking specifically about church planting among unreached peoples, like um, people are going to be really good at that and terrible at business, or they're going to be really good at business and terrible at church planting and we were very serious about both a hundred percent of the time. And we weren't putting things into, well, that's in the church planning category and that's in the business category. And how do you decide which one gets what percentage of your time? But like, if you're doing that, then you probably are doing the wrong business or you're doing the right business in the wrong way. Like your model is wrong. So that's where we took a completely different approach with what we were doing. And at the time we were not calling it strategic enterprise, but that's what we call it now because I think it is a nuanced thing where it's, it's much more of a hybrid. I mean, it is full on business and it is church planting. And for us, we feel like strategic enterprise is, is the best way to, to identify what it is that we're doing. And in the beginning, it was just a wild experiment and, we were like, I don't know if this is something that other people need to latch on to. A lot of people were excited about it. And we're like, oh, tell me about what you're doing because we want to do that. I'm like, I don't think we've been doing this long enough for, for us to be able to say safely that, yeah, we think you should do this too. But I think we have at, at this point. I mean, we're many years like into this and um, it's been incredible to see what God has done with it. And we feel like it has been effective. And so we are now, um, you know, helping and guiding other people along and have actually been you know, involved in the development of, of other businesses in addition to the ones that we lead. And um, it's, it's been an incredible, fruitful journey. What encourages you most, maybe a couple encouragements and a couple of challenges, even as you've used that as a vehicle to see disciples made and uh, long-term to see churches planted? I think just seeing God work is, is the most encouraging thing. So here we are, you know, it's 2022. We're a couple of years into a pandemic um, you know, I've not stepped foot inside of the business that I started like in over two years. I've been stuck outside of the country that we call home. Yet, you know, we've 
seeing God do so much, even in our absence, like just the people that we lead, our staff, um, ministry partners. And when I'm referring to these, I'm speaking entirely of locals. I'm not speaking of other foreigners. And I think just seeing God move has, has been extremely encouraging to us. Um, we, I, let me put it this way. If you work long enough among a people that are so difficult to reach, I think it will really challenge your definition of success. <laughs> and, and because you can only fill out so many ministry reports with all zeros before you begin to really question yourself. Like, maybe I shouldn't be the one doing this. You know, like, you know, when you get to like year nine and it's been, you know, 12 reports for nine years in a row each that all have zero in almost every defined like key result area, you know, it, it, you just don't feel good. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, it's not a good feeling. And so it really did challenge us like, okay, are, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? And God was very gracious uh, to my wife and I. I think he really helped us to see that success is obedience and that's enough. And, and that doesn't mean that there's not a place for evaluation. I mean, if, if we were terrible at the language, if we didn't put any effort into being aware of the culture, for sure, I mean, there would need to be correction there. But when you've tried and worked hard at, at everything and you still see zeros, like you begin to wonder like, well, why am I here? And is, is this about me? Is it about, you know, me working harder or doing more? And, and we learned that's, that's not the case, you know? And so we began to celebrate obedience. And so we began to celebrate when anyone in our family or anyone that we led had the opportunity to faithfully proclaim the gospel among the people that we were trying to reach. Like we we discovered like that's reason to celebrate mm-hmm. because I mean that that put God and his glory on display in front of people who had never heard of him before. And, you know, scripture says to some that's the fragrance of death. Like to others, it's the fragrance of life. And we knew for sure that, that it, that it pleased God and, and it brought him glory. And, and we found that there was a lot of excitement in that. Now, when someone chose to believe, which eventually, you know, after many, many years, we did start to see a few people believe and, well, man, I mean, we had like a huge party when that happened, mm. but you know, you're asking like, you know, just what are some of the encouragements in that? It's just been for us, like the opportunity to just be, faithful to what God has called us to do has just been extremely encouraging to us as a family uh, and as a business and, and coworkers and co-laborers and the Lord together. And, um, and that's enough. It's, it's, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, that's great. Do you think about just future obedience and just how the Lord is directing you all? Obviously you're two years into a three week vacation stateside, uh, but as you guys prayerfully are considering what it looks like to return back to the field, maybe even to, into new areas, uh, using even this vehicle uh, for the furtherance of the gospel, uh, what are some ways that we can be praying for you, be it personally or even to uh, in terms of uh, the work that you're doing? Yeah, I think we always desire um, just wisdom in what we're doing, um, open doors for the gospel uh, and boldness. And I think um, 
you know, faithfulness and boldness are not those things. It's like, well, man, I, I arrived. I got it. I'm done. I don't ever need anybody to pray for that again. I think it's, I think the reason we are able to be faithful and the reason that we are able to be bold is because God's people are consistently praying for us that we would be so. And so, you know, I think that, you know, definitely comes to mind. Um, you know, the, the pandemic has definitely brought some very specific challenges and it has to everybody. Um, you know, but I mean, our family's pretty homesick. Mm. Um, we don't, um, America's where we're from. It is the, the passports our children hold, but this is still so different, so foreign to them that it's, it's, it's challenging, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to be able to, to, to live here when home is there. And so, um, you know, we would appreciate people just as you, as you pray for us, that the door would open for us to be able to return and that in that we would be faithful and obedient and, and bold with, with what it is that God's called us to do. Brian, we appreciate your time. Grateful that you were able to join us uh, tonight and, and throughout this week, really, uh, as part of our staff retreat. Um, for those of you that are listening, we'd encourage you to just pray for Brian, pray for the people that he's working among, pray for continued uh, furtherance of the gospel and access and opportunity for believers to be discipled and for those disciples to be gathered into churches so that Christ can be exalted among the nations. You've been listening to the Light Bears Institute podcast, a production of Light Bears Ministries. For more information, visit lightbears.com.